we are finishing up our series on the 2020 vision. And again, yes, this is the end of the series, but this is going to carry on for a long time going forward because the things we're talking about in this series are really what we feel God has, has given us as leaders to uh, move forward with in the strategic direction of our church. So you'll be hearing a lot about this for a long time, and you'll be very involved in it as well. We wanted to give a, a series so we could talk about what it means, what it's about, what we're thinking, what we're doing, and also to get your ideas, which you'll hear more about in just a bit. So I don't know about you. I'm not sure if we have any in here, but I've never been a shepherd. I'm not sure if we have any shepherds in here. I don't claim to know much about shepherding other than what I've learned from others. But the more I learn, the more I understand why so many of God's metaphors and parables draw on the shepherding lifestyle. I recently learned that sometimes a you will give birth to a lamb and immediately reject it. Sometimes it's because the mother gave birth to twins and she just doesn't have the, she doesn't produce enough milk to provide for both the twins and she has to make a choice. It's kind of either one or neither, so she'll, she'll go with one. Sometimes the only explanation that shepherds can figure out is that the mother just doesn't feel like mothering, just doesn't feel like doing the work of raising a lamb. So watch what happens in this video when a ewe decides to reject one of her own. Watch this. I mean, as, as a parent, as a, as a human being, can you imagine doing that to one of your own? I mean, I, it, I just that struck me, and I, I saw other examples of it <clears throat> that were way more frankly graphic than that, that I just didn't want to even show on a Sunday morning. The shepherds call these, these lambs that are rejected, they call them bummer lambs. Bummer lambs. And they need someone to intervene because if not, they will die. <clears throat> Obviously, they're not getting nourishment, they're not getting the care and nurturing that they need. Now, we're going to come back to them later, but keep that in mind. But I want to talk about our stories today, our stories about how we came to know Christ. I came to know Jesus in a very undramatic way. I experienced the common grace of God and saw evidence of his work throughout my life. Romans 1 talks about the idea that there is evidence all around us that God is real. Whether you've ever heard the name of God or not, or ever been in a church, or ever heard the name of Jesus or not, just look around and there's evidence everywhere of his creativity, his uh, care, his, his concern, his compassion. I mean, the, just the, even the idea of love comes from God. We can experience uh, the evidence of God in that way. Now, I practically knew that from birth. From very young age, I knew that God loved me, and I experienced his common grace. My circumstances were not desperate or dire. I was a, I was a pretty good kid overall. I was raised by good people. I was raised in a loving church. I never suffered, thankfully, through addiction or abandonment or abuse or poverty. And frankly, if I hadn't become a Christian, my life really would have probably turned out just fine. I mean, really, it, might, it just looked like my life would have been just fine if I hadn't become a Christian. Now, many Christians, of course, have a different story. They came to the saving knowledge of Jesus in the midst of extreme circumstances. You know, they reached rock bottom in addiction or due to relational problems or during the other times of desperation. And in these times of desperation, when people loved by God search him out, his presence can feel more tangible than ever. And people who have never reached out to God can suddenly sense his all-encompassing love and mercy when they finally do. 
because it's so different from what they've known up to that point. And he brings peace that passes understanding, peace that we cannot understand, and he offers eternal grace, and their lives on earth are literally saved by it sometimes. Yet God reached out to both types of people to offer the same eternal life-saving grace. For people who have not been saved from desperation, it can be hard to fully grasp what we've been saved from. There are times when I just go, I know I have no idea what God spared me from. And I'm thankful, don't get me wrong. I am glad I didn't have to go through some of those things. But I frankly have no idea how, how bad it could have been. From what I've gathered over the years here at Cornerstone, knowing many of you and hearing your stories, most people at Cornerstone have been saved out of less than desperate circumstances. Their stories are something like mine, not exactly, of course, but something like it. Yes, before they and I accepted Christ, our eternal destinies were the same as any other other non-believer. But the trajectory of our time on earth wasn't radically changed when we got saved. Our eternity was, of course, but our time on earth really wasn't. Now, I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands so we can get an idea of how many people have a story like mine and how many people have a more sort of desperate or tragic story because maybe some of you don't want that known, and that's okay. I'm not, I'm not asking you to do that. But I am very confident, again, just knowing many of you and hearing many of your stories, that a majority of the Christians at Cornerstone have a story something like mine, not a desperate story. But the beautiful thing is, whether you've been saved in desperate circumstances or not, God offers the opportunity to experience his presence through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of his ministry in and through you. When believers gather in worship, they share the bonds of truth and the grace of the gospel. And as followers of Christ, we are invited to understand and experience the gospel. And when we experience the gospel in new and profound ways, we are motivated to grow into Christ-likeness and to act in obedience throughout the rest of our week. Just think about someone that you might know that's a believer that is absolutely sold out for their faith. They are an unstoppable force. An unstoppable force. They are desperate for God, and they will do whatever they can to have closeness with God. Now again, you don't have to be saved out of desperate circumstances to be sold out for the faith. But it does seem less likely for someone like that to keep the fires burning as consistently, and I'm speaking from experience. I mean, I know what a fully devoted follower is, but sometimes you just kind of lose your initiative to even get there. A fully devoted follower is compelled to do the things that they are called to do. And again, I love that word compelled. It comes from Paul. Compelled means I can't help it. I have to do it. I I physically can't be restrained from doing it because I just have to do it. So a fully devoted follower is compelled to do the things they're called to do. They don't have to be forced or coerced into serving or inviting or giving or worshiping or praying. They'll do these things because they just can't help it. And their response to God will overflow into the rest of their lives. And they'll be so attractive to other people that those other people will have to know what created this transformation. 
And if we look in the mirror at people who make up Cornerstone, I think we'd be lying to ourselves if we didn't say, you know what? Frankly, some of us occasionally lose the fire. And again, maybe I'm just speaking for me. I know it's true for me. I can become stale. We can become stale. Sometimes we can be just guilty of just going through the motions. But there is a lost world out there that needs believers who are a thousand percent sold out for their faith. There are 50,000 people just in a, within a 15 to 20 minute drive of this spot who don't have a church home and who likely don't know that Jesus came to save them for eternity and change their life here on earth. 50,000 people just within a 15 to 20 minute drive. So we have to get the fire back. Or we have to keep the fire burning if it is burning. Because God expects it of us and people are waiting for it. People's eternal souls are counting on it for us to have the fire. That's part of the motivation for our new strategic statement. Our new strategic statement is this. At Cornerstone, we will enrich weekend services to allow the congregation to understand and experience the gospel, the firm truth, and the relevant grace. We will enrich enrich weekend services to allow the congregation to understand and experience the gospel, the firm truth, and the relevant grace. And we believe that God led us to this strategy in order to help us stoke that fire. For some of us, it's a tiny little spark, and it just needs some gas. For others, the fire's kind of burning and it's going. We just kind of need to fan it a little bit and we need to kind of get it going and give it some more fuel, a little bit more, a little bit more. For others, the fire's just awesome. It's, it's, everything's engulfed in flames. That's awesome. We need to keep that going and we need that to happen. By enriching our weekend services in a multitude of ways, people will become motivated to move towards Christ-likeness. And as we get a stronger taste of what a transformative relationship with God looks like, and what authentic, authentic intimacy with him feels like, we'll just want more and more and more. And it won't be long before the outcomes will spill out into other areas. Think about for a second your favorite vacation spot. Your favorite vacation spot. What makes it so great? It could have been the gorgeous scenery, the exquisite artwork in the museum, the historical architecture, the exotic food, the warm rays of the sun, or just the tranquility of being away from it all. Whatever makes it your favorite vacation spot, you become willing to do whatever it takes to experience it again. I mean, think about it. When you come back from a great vacation, you know, chances are it's somewhere you've only been for maybe a few days or maybe a week or two of your life. But when you come back from a great vacation, You try to find a restaurant that reminds you of the food that you experienced. You tell other people about it. You daydream about it. You swipe through pictures of it. You post pictures on social media. You've got to experience this. You've got to see what I was able to do and how much I loved it. You had an experience that was transformative. And you simply can't help but want more. And you want others to have it too. You should go to this place. You should go to this resort. You should go to that, that cabin. You should go, whatever. Because you can't believe how amazing it is. And the same is true with our strategic direction. 
When you have a transformative experience with God, you will want more and more and more, and you will be compelled to tell people about it, to talk to other people about it, and to invite them into it. So we fully expect that an encounter like that in a weekend service will increase demand for more. You won't just want a great weekend service. You'll ask for more discipleship classes, for more prayer gatherings, for more outreach opportunities, and for more evangelism training. Because you just say, I have people that I want to tell this to, and I don't know how to tell them. Train me. Help me get discipled. Help me to find my fully devoted follower, what it means for me to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. This strategic plan will increase demand so that supply is designed to meet that demand. For example, you might say, you know, we're coming, coming up in Lent, we're going to do a series on our identity in Christ. You might say, you know what, I need more. I need three more weeks on this one subject. Could we develop a class around that? Absolutely. So again, we're going to say, we're going to look for demand, and then we're going to meet that demand with supply. So I want to review this visually. You saw this two weeks ago, and you'll see it a lot more. Before we do, though, I want you to see why you should be glad that we have someone like Tim Burkhalter that does our graphic designs for us. Because let me show you the vision that I had that I gave to Tim for what this should look like. I emailed that to Tim. I said, can you make that happen? And he said, yeah, (laughs) yeah, absolutely. So here's what it really looks like. If you remember... When we, when we went to the moon back in 1969 for the first time, remember JFK, what he said. Earlier that decade, he said, our goal is to get to the moon, right? Thank you. Whoever said no, thank you. The goal is to get to the moon and back safely. Yes, getting to the moon was awesome. If we had done only that and left them there, That would have been incredible, absolutely. And they were willing to make that sacrifice. The astronauts that went said, I get it. You might have to leave us here. We might miss. Something might not work. We're willing. But success was getting them back. So they're in this massive rocket called the Saturn V rocket. It's not that one there, but it looks, you know, the same idea. And it's just this massive cylinder full of fuel. It's almost the size, almost, if you took a football field, just imagine a football field, and rolled it up, and then filled it with gas. That's basically what Saturn V was. Of course, the, the main thing was the astronauts. The most important part of that was the astronauts. And their objective was the moon. That wasn't the mission success. That wasn't mission success. That wasn't the goal. But that was a, an objective to achieve mission success. But the astronauts basically just sat and pushed a couple of buttons and turned a couple of levers. That's really about all they did. And I'm not trying to diminish what they did, but that's really about all they did, because the control was really in mission control. Mission control said, "Hey, we're seeing this reading. You need to adjust this. You need to." You know, flip that switch. You need to push that button, turn that lever, because we're seeing this happening in the spaceship. 
mission control, they each have their own individual jobs. You know, one person takes care of navigation, one takes care of the health of the astronauts, one person takes care of, of the, the, the flight system. I mean, there's just all these different systems. And each person has their own specialty, and they all work in their specialty. And as we said last time, any one of those people could cancel the mission and say, nope, something's wrong, stop. But then all of them had this group display in front of them this massive screen that just put together all their information on one place and said, just here's a quick snapshot of how it's going. And then, of course, mission accomplished was getting back to Earth. Now, same image, new labels for our strategic vision. Let's look at this. <clears throat> our fuel, what's going to get us to our objective, is our weekend services. That's what's going to get us there. And who needs to get there? Maturing believers need to get there. Maturing believers need to get there. And our objective on the way to success is from our strategic statement, we will understand, help people to understand and experience the gospel. But we're going to need help. We're going to need ministry teams who have specialties and have things that they pay attention to and, and they, they know what to do and they understand their role and they, they can figure out how to contribute, but it's all going to contribute to the big picture, which is measurable results and looking at what's Cornerstone's overall goal and mission and how are we contributing. And then, of course, mission accomplished is not having great weekend services. It's not. That's an objective. Mission accomplished is making disciples. That's what churches do. Make disciples. Any church whose mission statement doesn't say we make disciples in some way, they're missing the point of what church is supposed to be about. So this strategic objective is not the goal. That's one of the ways we get to achieve the goal of making disciples. And again, taking this illustration further, the difference between astronauts and us is we all sit in two seats. We are all called to be maturing believers, and we are all called to be part of a ministry team or serving in some way to make sure people can mature. We all benefit from the cause, and we all contribute to the cause. We benefit from by being maturing believers. And the kingdom gets better. We contribute to by serving like we are told to do in the Bible. Chances are you've had some interaction in your life with scholastic books in one way or another. If you know Clifford the Big Red Dog or The Hunger Games or Harry Potter, then you know about Scholastic. Most of you went to schools with Scholastic book fairs. Yeah, oh yeah. Highlight of the, of the right of the, of the quarter. Even more of you probably brought home a book catalog every couple of months. And it might seem like a little nice little mom and pop operation, but did you know that Scholastic earned almost $2 billion in revenue last year? $2 billion for Clifford the Big Red Dog. That's impressive. 
You bring home a catalog, your parents fill it out and write a check, if you're an old-fashioned parent like me, (laughs) or you go online, your parents go online, and they, they order your books, and they fill out the information, and then your books come the next day? No, weeks later, right? Like you almost forgot about them because you ordered them so long ago. But here's the secret about those book catalogs. There is no reason why they should be successful. There is no reason in today's day and age why book catalogs from Scholastic should be successful. You could get your books much faster and in most cases often cheaper by going to Amazon or some other online retailer. You could get them in two days for a lot less money sometimes. But Scholastic markets themselves by saying that your school gets a portion of your cost back for educational resources. And they do. There certainly is documented very well. Scholastic gives a ton back to schools. But you know how else a school could get some of your money? You can just give it to them. They'll take it. They will take your money without having to buy books and wait several weeks for them. There is no reason Scholastic book catalogs should be successful. There really isn't. But here's another secret, and this secret is about the secret to their success. A study was done to figure out how does Scholastic continue to grow. And the number one reason that was discovered? Because every single employee of Scholastic contributes to the same goal, one goal. When the researchers were interviewing employees, they asked a forklift driver at one of the warehouses, what do you do for a living? His response was, I teach children how to read. I teach children how to read. He doesn't drive a forklift. He doesn't keep the warehouse organized and cleaned up. He doesn't load trucks. He doesn't take out the trash. He teaches children how to read. And it's the same for us. When we are contributing to the mission of Cornerstone by being a part of mission control, we are making disciples. You don't hold open the front door for someone. You make disciples. You don't hand out programs. You make disciples. You don't serve snacks in Kids Zone. You make disciples. And you don't move sliders and turn dials on the soundboard. You make disciples. You don't lead a life group. You make disciples. You do it by doing those things, but you make disciples. When someone around here asks you what you do, I make disciples. I make disciples. Now, Scholastic needs the forklift operators. It needs the illustrators. It needs the CEO. It needs the security guard. It needs the attorneys. It needs all the people. Without even one of these things happening, they can't be nearly as effective as teaching children how to read as they are. And we need the life group leaders and the people who take the trash out after service and the kids' own volunteers and the people who make sure we don't run out of supplies, and we need everybody. We can't make disciples nearly as effectively if we aren't doing all the things necessary to make it happen. That's why we're all a part, a part of mission control. Now remember from the beginning that sweet little bummer lamb that we left in, in the meadow kind of battered and abandoned by his mom. Again, if there isn't some sort of intervention, the bummer lamb will die. We can obviously see that. So when a shepherd spots a bummer lamb, 
he or she will take that lamb into his or her home. The shepherd will bottle feed it, will keep it warm by the fire, will wrap it securely so it feels security and safety. It'll hold the lamb close enough so it can hear the shepherd's heartbeat. And eventually, when the lamb is healthy and strong enough to make it on its own, the shepherd releases it back to the flock. And this is where we understand the intersection of Scripture and real life. John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And you've probably heard an illustration of that. Sheep will not come unless they hear the voice of their shepherd. Check out this video. I think I've shown that one before, but it's just amazing to see that. As soon as their shepherd calls, they they look up and they come running. And guess which sheep is usually the first one to start running? The one that was the bummer lamb. It's not because the bummer lamb is loved any more than the others. It's because they believe it more than the others. Until God calls me home to heaven, I will always be a bummer lamb. But that's okay. Because Jesus knows that we're all bummer lambs. It's not that he loves me more, loves you more, loves anybody else more. It's just that when we have been given the opportunity and most of us have accepted the invitation, we believe it more. My sheep hear my voice and they they follow me because they know that I love them. They know that I love them. So as we become the beneficiaries of the work to enrich weekend services to allow the congregation to understand and experience the gospel, we are increasing the amount of care we receive from Jesus. We are spending time being nurtured by him, warming by his fire, being fed from his hand, being held close to him, being secure and being nurtured by him. And then when we're out wandering and there's dangerous areas or there's wolves around that surround us and we hear his voice calling us, we'll respond immediately and without hesitation because we'll already know that it's safe because he loves us because he's demonstrated it for us and he's willing to care for every need that we have. So embrace your identity. You are a bummer lamb. You are a bummer lamb. Embraced and nurtured by the great shepherd. You are a maturing believer benefiting from the work that you are also contributing to in order to move you and others closer to becoming full of devoted followers. So how are we going to do this? As I said a couple weeks ago, we have lots of ideas and we want to hear many more. We want to increase our effectiveness in our teaching ministry. We want to draw our own worship interactions that bring us closer to God. We want to heighten our experience with true fellowship, all these things and more. There are so many possibilities there are some ideas that will work great and we'll keep doing them. There's some we'll try and they just, they just won't land and that's okay. But we want to hear your ideas too. So the proverbial door is always open. 
by contacting myself, your ministry leader, another staff person, an overseer. And if you happen to have time today after this service, we'll have a brainstorming session in this room. It won't be that long, of course, be between services, but it's just a way to sort of prime the pump, get it going. So we want you to come, go downstairs, grab some food, get your kids, come back upstairs to this room, and for just 20, 25 minutes, we're just going to hear your ideas. Just throw your idea, creative ways out there to help us understand and experience the gospel. So we'll start very shortly after the service in this room. I am also very happy to announce that we've put an event on the calendar that will help us all to live out the gospel in our surrounding community. On Sunday, April 5th, we will have our first serving Sunday. And we have tons of ideas to iron out, but we wanted to get get it on your calendar so it doesn't get pushed off the front burner. That Sunday is Palm Sunday. So in addition to being able to serve the community, we also have the added advantage of being able to invite them to Easter Sunday. That's not why we're doing it, not to populate this room for Easter Sunday. It's to love and serve our community. But we'll come, we'll gather for some time of worship and prayer, and then we'll, we'll scatter around the community and around this building, serving people in all kinds of ways. So we want your ideas for that too. We have some ideas, we want more ideas. So mark your calendars now. Give us your ideas about serving opportunities. Be on the lookout for them. Maybe it's a, a place you spend time or a place that you work or just people that you interact with that you just know, you know what, I, we could have a serving opportunity there for 2, 10, or 20 people, whatever it is. What do you see around the community that needs to be done that can be accomplished by people who are just motivated to go out and serve, to live out their faith? But in the meantime, and beyond, make sure you're sitting in the seat you're supposed to sit in, one at the top of the rocket and one at mission control. Make sure you're doing what what God asks you to do in order to become a maturing believer. Just a couple of suggestions. First of all, Lent starts next Wednesday, so 10 days from now, the season of Lent. It's the 40 days of preparation for Easter. We tend to mark Lent around here with a series and encouraging people to observe Lent. One of the ways you observe Lent is by fasting from something, giving something up in exchange for more time with God. So this week and next, early next week, pray about what God might want you to fast from. It could be a certain food. It could be a meal a day. It could be social media. It could be all kinds of things. But what is getting maybe in your way of your relationship with God that you say, you know what, for 40 days I can set that aside and spend more time with God. So pray about that. It starts next Wednesday. The other thing you can do, if you haven't done it already, didn't have a chance, or maybe it just didn't work out in your schedule, we, we do still encourage you to take advantage of the 21 days of prayer. In January, we did 21 dangerous prayers, and we have a couple of books in the back. We were able to get some that were back-ordered. So if you didn't have a chance to grab one of those to guide you through that 21 days of prayer, Take that and use it to journal and, to, and talk about your experience with God and to spend time with him. They're in the back of this room and also in the second story if you want to take one. But make sure you are committed to being in both chairs that you're supposed to be in. As a maturing believer and as someone who is serving on a ministry team or in some other way, to make sure that we can all benefit from and contribute to this strategic direction that we believe God's given to us. Let's join our hearts in prayer. God, first of all, I just want to, I just want to say thank you that, that we're bummer lambs. 
And even though the world can reject us, even though people that we love can even reject us, and, and circumstances can make us feel like we're rejected, we know we are never rejected by you. No matter what we've done, no matter who we are, no matter what we've come from or what, what our history says. Thank you, Jesus, for taking us in, making us feel secure and loved and nurtured and cared for so that when you call, we will be the first to start running. And God, I pray as we move forward in this strategic direction that you would give us great ideas and great wisdom about what you want us to do. Not so we have more people here, not so people can have a great experience, but so that they can then be motivated and just overflowing with your love and they just can't help but share it with other people. So help us to know the right decisions to make, the way to spend resources, the way to, to spend our time serving and being served. God, thank you for this opportunity and we pray that we would, we would be using it well and using it the way that you want us to. In Jesus' name, amen.